On this week's full-time roundup, City add their hand on the Premier League trophy. Real Madrid enjoy a perfect weekend. The Bundesliga's two-horse race goes into high gear. Plus, Syria continues its intrigue. And the early results in AFCON and Asia have us shaking our heads. Full-time roundup starts right now. And welcome in to the latest edition of the Full-Time Roundup. Matt Gesslin here, joined by Daniel Brackett, as always. Daniel, an absolutely busy, hectic, crazy, fun weekend of football. We're going to dive right into it as there is a lot to cover. Of course, we always start in the Premier League as we usually do. And boy, did we see maybe the moment of the season on on Saturday with Manchester City coming back from 1-0 down against Newcastle in a thrilling back-and-forth 3-2 win. What were your take on this one? And, of course, like I said in the tease, this is kind of Manchester City putting one hand on the trophy a little bit. You used a lot of adjectives to explain this weekend, and I could use a lot of adjectives to explain this game. Um, sadness, one of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a couple weeks back, Jurgen Klopp mentioned how you know the world is shaking as KDB gets back to health. And, you know, I saw reports that he's smiling more and, and things like that. He's enjoying life as well as his football. And man, did he seem to enjoy it against Newcastle. I mean, that might've been one of the best cameo performances I think I've ever seen. I mean, five minutes in, he scores a goal and he seems absolutely winded, but he still has enough gas in the tank to absolutely drop that ball on a rope to Oscar Bob's left foot. Oscar Bob, you know, swiveling the defender, almost like a ski move you see on the slope, and then to put it in the back of the net. But to keep it from um, Dubrovka, but also from Botman, I mean, that that skill is just insanely hard. And for that 20-year-old Norwegian to, to pull that off, and one of the most important, you know, final phases of the game is just, is just crazy to me. But, you know, a lot of this talk that we'll have is, is on – is on Manchester City and how, what are they going to put 15 performances in a row, wins in a row to, you know, put that second hand on the trophy? I sure hope not. But, you know, shout out to Newcastle today. I mean, I predicted this match to be an absolute blowout. And, you know, they proved me wrong with some really good, especially a first, really good first half. But, uh, I mean, uh, Eddie Howe's, you know, probably sick to his stomach after this result. Yeah, a lot, a lot of places to take this um, from where you just kind of teed us up, which is great. Of course, you know, from a Newcastle perspective, you have to, you know, give them props, like you said, uh, really put a valiant effort. No, no way that anyone that came out of St. James's Park is going to be upset with the performance that that they put out there. Of course, you want to win the game, and, and it looked like they were going to have a chance or at least get a point, uh, you know, late. And, and Kevin De Bruyne, you mentioned his cameo. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. Just comes in and and you know steals it away from them but again you know you're looking at eddie howe's side that that really put out a, a sharp um one of their better performances in a long time in my opinion of course they've been struggling with injuries they're starting to get some players back and healthy a little bit but you're still kind of concerned about them where they are they, they currently sit 10th in the table now daniel after the weekend's results so you know it feels like that's not really doing them justice though depend you know given where they've been and and, and of course you just look at the roster. Of course, there's been injuries across the entire league, but Newcastle really had almost their entire starting 11 at one point. It feels like on the bench or, or out, not available. So um, 
yeah, you kind of you kind of look at it that way. We've talked about Eddie Howe's perspective and if he's going to be around. I think I think it's still up in the air at the moment as far as just longer term picture for him. But again, this game this game is a is a good good showcase of what the team means and and how they they back Eddie Howe and what he's trying to get his message across. Um, as far as Manchester City though, again, this is the, they are now the story, right? Uh, you talked about you know the run that they're going to go on, and, and we've seen this before year in year out with this squad, and, and this. This feels like that game that could be that catalyst that could kind of be the one that gets the role going. And and you saw how much this meant to this roster, this team after the game, everybody, you know, cheering towards the away fans, very much uh, ho-hum, happy, hugging Pep Guardiola, running down to the players and giving them high fives and uh, you know, you don't see that too often from a Man City performance because they're so accustomed and used to winning. And so I think this, like I said, this kind of comeback and, and you know, the way they did it um, really is just going to be one of those catalysts for a, a big run that ultimately we're very accustomed to from a Manchester City perspective. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, as we th- wrapped up the the last episode, the last one of the last things you said is, you know, how I enjoy my goals, goals, goals. Well, we had five absolute beauties in this match. I mean, the started out, you know, who was it? Was Isaac with the first one, Anthony Gordon with 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 the second, and then Bernardo Silva with an absolute peach as well. So, and then you got the Oscar Bob and 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 Kevin De Bruyne just, you know, basically passing it into the back of the net from outside the eighteen. So. I mean, this was probably the match of the week for me. And, you know, I, I love how the Men and Blazers did that Pep Guardiola interview this week, kind of teeing it up for this match. And, you know, I just feel like that as soon as I saw that interview, I knew that something was was going to was gonna happen in this match. And so, you know, obviously City, you know, without Holland, they still missed a bunch of chances too. I mean, Alvarez blew one or two over the net. Foden missed the sitter. So it's scary to think of, you know, they, they put three in the back of the net, but on, on another day, you know, it could have been it could have been a lot more. One thing I wanted to, to to touch on just real quick before we move on from from City Newcastle is this is the second uh, you know, I, I don't like to, you know, give City anything here just you know based off historical, you know, data and everything. But Ederson injured, John Stones injured, both of these injuries have resulted in an offside call that the linesman did not raise his flag. So obviously, if I'm a City fan, I'm, I'm pretty annoyed at that, and hopefully it's not too serious for Ederson. And, and I'm not really sure what the extent of John Stones, but he's been in and out with injuries this year. Yeah, that's the only one. The main concern from my perspective uh, is just defensively in the back. You're starting to see a little bit of you know hiccup with Ake, and and I think it's just a, a pace thing, right? I think Ake is a little bit slower than John Stones. You're you're losing some pace there. Ruben Diaz as well, uh, of course, Kyle Walker who has ample pace for all of what I just said on on the right hand side, and uh, that's kind of where those goals came from was uh, you know lack of closing down, especially Kyle Walker on Anthony Gordon could have done could have been tighter there. Uh, but yeah, this was a really dominant performance from, from start to finish for city. And uh, you just wonder, like you said, how, how much longer it's going to be before they're fully, fully healthy um, with Ederson, John stones, Erling Holland, you know, Jack Grealish is still not playing up to speed yet. So you just, you're just waiting for that. And yet they're still already kind of the, the, top of the class already uh, at this point of the season. Now we saw another game, Daniel today, Sunday, of course, that game, Manchester city and Newcastle were, were the main uh, main set for Saturday's games. Today we had Manchester United versus Spurs, a clash of contrasting styles as well as 
managers that are in different places as far as their um, place in, in within the organization. Of course, Eric Ten Hag on the hot seat with the new ownership group coming in and Ange Postacoglu just doing absolute wonders for, for Tottenham this year. And it reflected that on the pitch, uh, to be honest. I think obviously the result 2-2 does not do any justice for, for Manchester United. Um, but also at the same time, or excuse me, it doesn't do any justice for Spurs. They were they were clearly the better side. And and even late, Manchester United almost had a way to steal this one with an absolute sitter of a header for Scott McTominay, who should have done better and, and captured all three points at the depth. But what was your takeaway from this one? This one, of course, was it just feels like same old, same old for Manchester United at this point. Yeah, uh, I mean, this was arguably a, a Spurs B team in a way. I mean, obviously Romero and Vandeven came back, which which helped, but it honestly didn't help. They were still pretty suspect at the back, but it was an enjoyable watch, number one. So that's always a nice you know caveat to the game. Um, but I, I feel like it was a, a fair a fair draw as both teams had had really good opportunities. I mean, you know, Romero hits the bar. Uh, Udogi hits the post almost on an iconic own goal. That would have been that would have been fantastic. Uh, I, I mean, that was a striker's finish right there. But when when that ball went, you know, in the air for that cross to McTominay, I I you know got out of my chair. I was like, this is going in. And out of all players, you'd expect to score that. It honestly would be Scott McTominay to me. But I think you know, there's there's two big storylines for me on the Manchester United side. You know, Hoyland and, and Rashford have kind of hit the ground running now, so. They're getting a little hot, which is which is good to see as a United fan. But again, Ten Hag with you know rivals in the table, outcoached. Honestly, I think that you know, Ange, you know, his tactical knowledge almost exceeds Ten Hag's, and and we've seen this a couple times this year. And I just don't know if Ten Hag is is the long term guy who's going to get Manchester Manchester United where they need to go. But I mean. A draw at Spurs or a draw at home, obviously, is is not ideal, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, you kind of you felt like this was a a real performance to showcase to Jim Ratcliffe Eric Ten Hag's job, right? You kind of look at it from the lens of you're playing at home. You've had a few weeks to kind of di- dissect now the new ownership. They've been off a couple of weeks without, you know, FA Cup and, and uh, Carabao Cup performances. So they had the actual break going into this one. Spurs down to their B side, like you said, and they, again, dominated this game, Daniel. Other than the two goals, Manchester United had no shots on goal. Those were the only two shots on goal were the two goals that they had. Spurs almost 65% possession on the road. And and you're wondering, you just look at the, the roster and really other than Marcus Rashford, like you said, Hoyland, who got on this on this on the score sheet finally, and maybe Garnacho. There aren't any players on that squad that really could fit in at Spurs. You know, they're they're not going to just walk in and and really take over a starting position. And so you're you're wondering kind of what this roster looks like. And then on top of that, Eric Ten Hag just you cannot play the style of play that you want to play with the roster you have. If you're going to be this way, play a counter step counterattacking style at just accept that it's okay to be that way. But then there's also the, you know, the perception of, well, we're Manchester United. We can't be, especially at home. We can't be sitting in and letting teams attack us and dominate and counter. So it's kind of a, a catch 22 for him. And I, and I really don't know 
you know, where they go from here. Of course, they need to have such a rebuild top to bottom, um, not only on the field, but in, in, in leadership and, and in the front office. And, and you're starting to see that. So from a Manchester United perspective, I think this is a long, long project that's just starting. And I don't know if Eric Ten Hag is the guy either, but from my perspective, if I'm Spurs, I'm much happier with this point. Uh, like you said, B-side going away and getting a point on the road at a tough place. Regardless, it's a tough place. Yeah. Um, one funny stat for you, Max. I know you love stats. Timmy, Timmy Werner, one game already has more goal contributions than Anthony for the season. <laughs> Love bringing that up to my Manchester United friends, as well as Jaden Sancho, who we'll get to later. Um, second question I had is, it's more of a coaching question, but I, I, I've, I've done a lot of, you know, discourse and reading with coaches and their philosophies. And, you know, both of these managers are, are you know, the type of, you know, I'm going to go down with my playing style, right? It's It's my way or the highway. And then there's coaches that you see adapt formation and evolve over time. Where do you stand on what a coach should do? A little bit of both? Or, you know, if you were in their position, would you die with go down with a ship with how you want to play football? Or are you willing to, you know, adapt and evolve based off what you're given, you know, injuries and transfers? It depends on where I am, right? I think at a club like Manchester United or Spurs in this instance, the clubs that we're referencing, you have to adapt a little bit because you have to get results. Right. Exactly. And I think, I think if you're talking about a Vincent company, a younger manager, even a more experienced manager, if you're going to go down to that level of, you know, at Neverton or, or promotion side, then you go and you just full balls of the walls. My, my style, that's it. It's going to win or it's not going to win. And you build a team that way. You, you set that, foundation of who you are you do that even at a manchester united and the spurs you, you're you're laying that groundwork in in training every day with the way that you're trying to get 90 percent of the game that you're playing you want to position it in your style but if you need to make adjustments which is why i was so surprised that and plus style has worked because it's so high pressing you saw how high up the field and dogi was today i was watching with our good friend john hayes and i was telling him and dogi's almost beyond the, the midfielders like and he's the left back and so you know there's there's a balance though too and and of course like i said if you're asking me which what i would do it, it's i'm trying to get the result i'm trying to work with what i have to get that result but at the end of the day my message is what i want to be going forward because i i'm ultimately i'm going to be here for that's the the thought you have as a manager and so i think the trouble for eric ten Hag, even from the beginning was he never could get that message across to the locker room you know he, he tried with with ronaldo and the way that he handled that situation which i think was great um not just from a personal standpoint but just the way you know he addressed the, the situation handled the player a player of that stature uh it may have rubbed some players the wrong way in the rock in the locker room which we've heard um but that's ultimately what he has to do as a manager now if it doesn't work and and he doesn't get the respect of the players, you gotta you gotta change things up. If you're the new ownership, especially coming in fresh and uh, with all the problems that they have, so it's definitely a, it's definitely a tricky one, but uh, one that you know they they these managers and it's a it's a results business, Daniel. As you know, they got to get results or they're they're looking for the next job. Couldn't agree more with that take. So that, I thought uh, that was well said. So to to kind of move on, you know, just quick hitting Chelsea, you know bounce back game after uh, a pretty terrible display they were able to edge past fulham i wouldn't say it was convincing and also any, pretty terrible display here too so yeah. it doesn't no it continues the dirt 
Terrible Same mistakes. shit, different day, except it was a W. So, you know, you're climbing up the t- table, though. This was good. That United draw was was good for Chelsea fans. And, you know, maybe you should have Dua Lipa come to the Stanford Bridge more often. I was seeing some of that discourse. Um, but, you know, uh, to move on to the, the other game, Everton drew with Villa, which is, I wouldn't say surprising, but it, if you watch this, you might have fell right back asleep because it was fairly boring. But two VAR goals were, were called off. Very boring game. I, I did watch it. Um, I felt like there was going to be a fight at some point, which would have been fantastic for me because there was nothing else coming out of this match. I think, I think though, if you're an Everton uh, supporter or an Everton player, that's exactly what you wanted, right? You, you yeah. kind of wanted to be a little bit scrappy and, and get Unai Emery's men off their game. And so uh, if you're now this contradicts what we said about Manchester United being at home and getting a point. This is a big point for, for Everton, you know, against the mm-hmm. top four side and, and Villa, uh, of course, Luton get a, a big point on, on Friday, which we'll touch on here in a second. But again, big result for, for Son Dice's men. You would have liked to have seen Dominic Cowan-Lewin score there, um, you know, on that breakaway situation, especially with how important three points are. But at the end of the day, a good side. First, Unai Emery's first 0-0 draw in the Premier League since he's ever taken over. I think it's 97 games between both Arsenal and Villa. So wow. that's an amazing, amazing you know stat that he's always been able to score. So um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. But it, again, in this case, if if I'm Everton, I'm the happier of the two sides. Couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, no, that's a that's a crazy stat as well. So you know, you got to get points at home and. Gittison continues to to be a or try to be a fortress for for the Evertonians. Now you mentioned Burnley and Luton. Burnley go up. It looks like maybe they'll just be able to edge out this win. And you know another Luton Town extra time dramatic winner here. I think they have the most uh, goals. Uh, you know in after like the 85th minute other than Liverpool, which is a, a pretty crazy stat. So they love to leave it late. And if I'm company, I just, you know, I'm sick with myself that my team just cannot get across the finish line in a six pointer here. Yeah. And of course, remember this one, if, if it does lead to, you know, either side being relegated, of course, a, a controversy at the end, definitely a foul. I don't know how I was at first second guessing it. I thought, that you know they were both going for the ball and it, and it was a clean you know just coming together and so the goal should stand and then and then you see it more and more and Adebayo is definitely going in and trying to and you know inflict um a, a interference of the goalkeeper goal probably should have been disallowed a huge three points that you know Burnley could have used and of course Luton get a huge point that keeps them within touching distance of Everton but again in terms of the relegation battle, if, if a night is to remember later in the season, this is, is one of those. And, and Daniel, we had another one of those situations moving over to the Bundesliga where like city above, you know, if you're going to win the title, you have to win games that you probably were maybe not expecting to win or, or kind of were up in the air for you. And that was what happened with Bayer Leverkusen who took on Augsburg on Saturday morning and they left it late, but they get the win, and, and Javi Ball continues continues to impress. They are still top of the table now, uh, keeping up with the Joneses. They they beat, you know, they kind of take that pressure from Bayern Munich on Friday, and and kind of get them backing five points clear on with the you know of course Bayern Munich has the game in hand, but they they kept up with the pressure. And from my perspective, that's exactly what a champion is going to need to do going forward. 
Yep. No, absolutely. And especially you mentioned Byron playing before them, you know, all the pressures on them now. So the fact that they have the mentality with, you know, Boniface, Virch on the bench, Kosunu, Tapsaba, all out at Akon, um, and they still are able to, to get the dub. You know, you need Adam Schick and Hoschleck and Hoffman and, and the players to, to filling these these huge voids. And they are short on center backs, so that will be a really interesting, you know, predicament that they'll Shadi will have to figure out with more attacking potent teams. But you know, a win's a win. And sometimes you just gotta leave it late. And these are the moments, you know, that can spur a, a title chance. Yeah, and a great finish by Palacios, of course, in the 93rd minute. Um, if you if you didn't see it, just the, the look for the look in the top right corner at the time on the clock. It was a late winner if you want to call it that, if anything. And so again, Four points clear of, of Bayern Munich, who, like you mentioned, played on Friday. They get a 3-0 win, but Daniel, it was not very convincing. Of course, Jamal Musiala gets a brace, but the first one coming in the 18th minute. And then between that point and kind of when he put in the, let's say, the the clincher or the, the finisher in the 70th minute, if, if it wasn't for Manuel Neuer, this could have been a 1-1 draw or it could have been a 2-1 Hoffenheim win. This was a by no means a, a easy cruise to victory win for Bayern Munich on Friday. Yeah. And shout out to Hoffenheim, obviously Bayern won three zero and it, you know, the score line doesn't really reflect what actually happened in the game. They were in it all the way up until probably the red card in the 60th minute. Um, you know, Hoffenheim had their chances and they just could not put the ball in the back of the net, but you know, we have an American manager at the helm there at, at Hoffenheim, probably our most promising and, arguably our best manager um, of the United States pool here, Matarazzo, and, and he's doing a fantastic job at Heifenheim. It's in seventh place or, you know, top top 10 of their table. And and I don't know, I just I feel bad for the Hoffenheim team as they, you know, could have gotten a result here. But, you know, I, I just don't think Tuchel has impressed. This was a big, a big game for them, especially first game after Franz Beckenbauer's passing. And so you thought maybe they'd come out with some fire and absolutely lay the wood on, on Hoffenheim. And in, I guess scoreline wise, they did, but you know, they left two goals pretty late here, but the one thing you did mention was Musiala brace. And that's been one of the, the biggest, you know, talks about um, the complaints about Tuchel in the Bayern camp was, you know, Musiala was one of the best players in the world last season. And he's been pretty rubbish, uh, to start out this year but he came back in a big way got the nod and you know it seems like hopefully he can be back to his best and put a couple performances in a row of you know prime Musiala yeah of course the the Meister Schilen last year with the winner at the depth for for Bayern Munich uh of course youngster one of the most promising talents in the world of football you see it when he does play just the way he took that second that ball off the second uh or the excuse me the the turn for the second goal um, when he grabbed, when he received the ball and, and worked through it with with Leroy Sané, you can just see the talent oozing and the confidence coming to him. Uh, a big, big part if if he comes back to form, just another added bonus for Bayern Munich that they can look to with the likes of Harry Kane and and Leroy Sané and, and other other team members that they have as part of that roster. So uh, you hope that he gets some more minutes. Um, there's talk about a new contract for him as well. So we'll see what that looks like. That of course you don't want to lose a talent like that if you're Bayern Munich, but um it's never done until it's done. And, and where that leads to, we'll see. But you expect him to to get some more minutes and, and be confident that he wants to stay in Bayern for a very long time. Now you mentioned Daniel, 
the importance of still getting results, even if you don't play that well. A lot of the teams, though, in the top four did not have that way this weekend in the Bundesliga. Of course, this is the first weekend back of the Bundesliga since the winter break before Christmas. And, and Daniel, this top four race is now really, really getting interesting. You had Stuttgart, you had Leipzig, both drop points this weekend. You had Borussia Dortmund, who took care of business and looked really good in their game. And then, of course, when you're talking about losing points for Leipzig, they played against Eintracht Frankfurt, who we talked about in the prediction show, kind of moving up the table slowly. So they're si currently sitting in sixth place. Stuttgart, Leipzig, Dortmund, and Frankfurt are all separated by seven points right now. I, I say that kind of in the way because Stuttgart is not a perennial team at the top. So it almost feels like it's a three horse race for fourth here. But what is your take? And, and do you feel that this is a, a battle between, let's say, Leipzig, Dortmund, Frankfurt? Or do you feel confident Stuttgart could maybe kind of keep in keep in touch here? Uh, probably not. I think this is a two horse race, like many of the leagues that we're starting to see, you know, two only two teams really be the, the cream of the crop of the league. But I, I did want to touch on Dortmund here. Um, we've been pretty harsh on Dortmund all, all season, but, you know, they did some very shrewd business, you know, getting Jaden Sancho who came in and immediately made an impact with, with a nice assist. And, you know, uh, apparently the Dortmund camp weren't really expecting Sancho to, to play much of a factor for the first couple of weeks of the, the second half of the season, but they were very impressed with his fitness when he got there. Obviously, I'm sure Sancho, you know, was extremely motivated, you know, to show up and be ready to go as, you know, his, a lot of bad things have been said about Sancho in England, just based off, you know, the whole situation with, with Manchester United. And again, another goal contribution more than Anthony, a winger that's currently playing for Manchester United, but also one that's not being talked about, but I think is probably the best business that they got Ian Matson from Chelsea. You know, he's played a little bit of factor for for Chelsea this season. Not much to write home about, but he played uh, outside back for for Dortmund today and or a couple of days ago and looked looked fantastic. And they are very short on outside back, so he is going to get a lot of PT uh, in the second half of the season. And I mean, these little shrewd signings can be you know what turns your season around and can save Terzic a job. Yeah, you mentioned Ian Matson, of course, was not getting much playing time under Pochettino. In fact, actually was moved higher up the pitch than where he likes to play at that left back position. So uh, a little bit of a, of course, one of those things that just typical Chelsea, you, you kind of lose a nice talent, although we didn't lose him. He's still on, he's just on loan. So hopefully he gets some time and plays in that position and, and things kind of evolve um, not to get on Chelsea. But uh, so we'll see what happens there. But yeah, well, definitely a nice move for them. Of course, Jaden Sancho comes in and gets a big assist and looked really good in, in a, you know, a short period of time with a cameo. And one of those things where we, we did harp on Borussia Dortmund, but they've always been hanging around. You know, I think we, we were just so expectant and I think everyone is expecting them to be competing for the title. And, and that just fell apart pretty quickly. But if they still come in top four, Daniel, get European football. I think that's a, a pretty good story for Edin Terzic and, and what he's trying to do longer term. We Now, we did talk about if he's on the hot seat or if he moves into the front office, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, but again, from where they were to where they currently sit, you know, only a couple of points behind Leipzig, three points behind Leipzig, and four points, like I said, behind a, a Stuttgart team that we both feel probably isn't going to go the distance. You're you're in pretty good shape right now for, for European football. And from a Borussia Dortmund standpoint, if you get European football, Champions League football year in, year out, that's exactly what you want. And and one year, maybe you, you snag the title, should have been last year. But um, otherwise, 
kind of can't ask for much more than what you're getting right now. Now, moving over, Daniel, I mentioned beginning of the show, perfect weekend for Real Madrid. Of course, they did not have a weekend game in La Liga, but they do get some help from Girona, who dropped points to bottom of the table, Almeria. They did not lose, but they only get a draw, 0-0 draw, which we talked about this before, Daniel. Could this Girona team continue going and keeping pace with Real Madrid? That is, is to be seen. So firstly, that is the one positive for Real Madrid on the weekend. And then on top of that, today, Sunday, they absolutely hammered their rivals in an El Clasico for the a, a trophy, and they win the Super Cup in 4-1 fashion, Vinicius Jr. getting a hat-trick. So again, can you ask for a better weekend for Carlo Ancelotti and his men? I don't think you could. I mean, you beat Atletico Madrid, your your city rival, earlier this week. You absolutely spank your biggest rival, Barcelona, in a final um, on live television. And then, you know, the team that's been a pesky gnat in your ear uh, in the whole race for La Liga drops points, um, which should have been probably a win for them. I, it can't get much better than that. You know, Vinicius Jr. mentioned not only a hat-trick, but a first-half hat-trick. I mean, straight off the jump, he scores two goals in a blink of nine, then gets draws the penalty later. Ronald Arujo sent off. Uh, it's going to be a long, long flight home for, for Barcelona players. I'm sure Xavi had some choice words for them in the locker room at halftime as well as, you know, after the game. But, you know, on the, on the contrary, Real Madrid will probably party all the way home on that flight. Um, Lewandowski, though, you know, I was very, you know, harsh on him last game. He did score again, so now maybe he's starting to put together his game and he can kind of hit the ground running once La Liga starts back up for Barcelona. So that's a one positive if I'm a Barcelona fan, but it's pretty dire in, in Barcelona, and I don't think they're going to – let go of Xavi because just simply there's no one else on the market that would probably do as good or better of job than him. But I could see, you know, the Xavi era end after this season. Yeah, that was you were kind of leading me right into where I was going to ask you, you know, what what does Barcelona take out of this performance? Of course, Lewandowski gets a, a worldly goal, a clean, clean volley finish. That was just a beautiful finish. But at the end of the day, that's not enough, right? And and defensively this team is a shell of what it was last season what the hell is Jules Kunde doing on that first goal I do not understand and then secondly 10 minutes not even 10 minutes later the defense plays worse on a, on a trying to keep a high line with Vinicius Jr. just goes right behind them or Rodrigo goes right in behind them easy finish for Vinny for his second so you couldn't have asked for a worse start for Barcelona I, I don't know if that's something that Xavi told the guys ahead of time we want to play a high line if it was did they practice it? Because this team did not look like they were ready for it. And so you question, you know, the manager a little bit. Of course, the players still have to play on the pitch as well. But yeah, this was this was from a Barcelona as good as a weekend as it was for Real Madrid. This was just as bad for Barcelona as it could have gotten. You never want to get beaten, especially in a final, let alone by your rival, and not not least of all get blown out four one, which could have been a lot worse. Um, and so you're just wondering what was the message on the plane. At what point does the message not come across? Because this is not the first time that we've seen a performance like this from Barcelona this season. We talked about it last episode where they're starting to become almost unwatchable a little bit. Hard to say from a Barcelona perspective, but 
what does he say? What where does he get the the message across? Now can he get the message across, or has he officially lost this locker room? And I and I know you said that there's no one to replace him, but at what point is it just you have to replace him because you have to replace him? That 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 is a fair question, and that's why they don't pay me the big bucks, Matt. But you know, I just I just am so confused by that game plan. I mean. We've seen it before with other teams, but the last thing you want to do is play a high line with Vinicius and, and Rodrigo running down the wings, especially when you have someone who can unlock space and time like Jude Bellingham does in the middle. And they were just like not even pressuring him. And he was able just to sidestep, you know, central midfielders and then just play dink balls in behind. Real Madrid struggles when you not park the bus, but you put men behind and you make them break it down. And I know that's not the Barcelona way. And, you know, I'm sure Barcelona fans wouldn't enjoy that, but I'm sure as hell sure that they would enjoy, you know, a closer performance than getting absolutely blown out by playing that high line. It's just stubbornness. I don't know what Xavi was thinking. And, and you mentioned, you know, Barcelona have been become a little bit unwatchable. I think there's been more bad performances and good good performances this year and obviously that's concerning and you can always you know point to injuries and but there wasn't much passion either so a lot a lot of inflection here but just to quickly touch on you know other la liga games atletico athletic club excuse me beat real sociedad didn't realize this was a derby so my fault on not mentioning that uh, both in the basque region here um but you know they're right there with each other in the table so obviously a huge victory and baron guerre uh you know slots in right for anaki williams and and scores two goals so so good to see from him and uh also sevilla you know losing a heartbreaking fashion to alaves and the fall of grace that sevilla's had this season is is a pretty sad one they weren't great last year but were able to rally back at the end but I mean, I don't think they'll get relegated, but this could be one of the worst performance or performances in a season we've seen from Sevilla in quite a long time. Yeah, back-to-back seasons for Sevilla. Now you're getting a little concerned as far as you know just where they are. They they continue to be towards the bottom, and a team that normally Daniel just to wrap a, a bow on on La, uh, La Liga that uh, is normally towards the bottom is Valencia, who get a big result today as well. They they're now eighth place. Uh, you know hanging in there for maybe a, a little bit of a fight for that sixth place position to get some European football, which would go a long way for that club, especially, like I said, last couple of years, they were at the bottom and they had a, a pretty ugly incident at one point at the end of last season as well that looked like maybe they might get relegated from a point seduction standpoint. They get away with it. Uh, and again, they, they moved with a big win today. Moving across to the rest of Europe, we want to focus on Italy, of course. We've talked about this race, Daniel. Inter Milan and Juventus. Inter absolutely just dominates, you know, against Monza. 5-1. Wasn't even much of a match. Uh, there's not too much to talk about here just because it was such a dominant performance and, and the way that they've looked at the table. Latour Martinez, is he the best player in Serie A? That's really the one takeaway I have for you in this one. And then, of course, we have a, we have a little bit of a wait. Uh, Juventus don't play till Tuesday, and so there's a five-point gap right now between Inter and Juventus. So will that will that lead continue or will that continue to sh- shrink and, and kind of have some more pressure on it like i said this is a two-horse race but you know latour martinez any any thoughts on just what this guy continues to do on the field 18 goals to assist i think by far leaps and bounds the best player in in syria and it's not even close probably only rivaled by osman and he's had a pretty off year as napoli as a whole has um so that that's that. I mean, hopefully to make it just interesting, Juventus can keep pace. Um, I mean, 
they were there was talks about Allegri, you know, being out um, after this year, and it's going to be hard to replace a manager who's you know playing with such fervor right now, and the, the team believes, and the team finally is starting to click in in the right direction, and they're going far in the Coppa Italia, you know, they're right on pace with with Inter Milan for the most part. So, I know, I mean, another two horse race here, but uh, that's really all I have to say about those two teams. Yeah, and of course, not a two horse race for the fourth place uh, position for, for Europe, which we've talked about a few times on the show. And it just continues to be intriguing, Daniel. Teams dropping points today. Bologna, who were kind of that new darling, they get their second drop points consecutively in a row. This story feels like it's kind of starting to have a run out of legs a little bit. Fiorentina gets a big draw, which was surprising as well. And so, you know, Udines was should not be a draw for for Fiorentina if they want to continue in the top four. And and Lazio get a big win to to move up even tighter. So this, you know, we talked about AC Milan, who they get a big win today just to kind of cover that whole little spectrum right there. They're they're they beat Roma three to one. They they do kind of distance themselves now from this fourth position battle, eight points clear of fourth place, still a little bit away from the top. So they're probably in that little no man's land for the rest of the season, unless things kind of, you know, deteriorate for Inter, which we don't foresee. But Daniel, this to me, there's there's two storylines here in Syria. Of course, if Juventus don't pick up a win on Tuesday, it might almost become a one storyline for me here is this fourth race, this fourth place battle. And you can almost go all the way down from fourth to ninth. Uh, in Roma, uh, if you want to even add Torino in 10th at 28 points, at six points off the pace. That's to me the the big storyline here is just how deep Syria A is at the at the middle middle ground. And we are absolutely here for it. Um, I think another storyline to look at is the closing of a chapter in in Rome with with Jose Mourinho. He now has turned into more sour. You know, he after the the result against Bologna, he was stating how Bologna had better players than than Roma, and he's you know starting to do that whole antics, which we've seen time and time and time again. Never ends well. That never it ends never well. ends well. He's on a big contract though, so it's hard to see them you know parting ways with him you know during the season. But you know, that's one. And then also, I just want to talk about you know the the rival of of Rome, Roma, Lazio. You know, around October second. They were in 16th place. You know, October 26th, Sari threatens to resign. Um, December 17th, 11th place, and now they are tied for fourth place. Um, so Sari Ball found the rhythm. I'll give credit to that. You know, those stats by Italian Football TV on Twitter because um, they were the ones that tweeted that. But I, I wanted to pull up that tweet to make that known that, you know, even without a mobile A right now, they're they're still winning games. And lots who have completely turned their season around and have you know, climbed up that table quite a bit. Of course, they also have Champions League against Bayern Munich as well. So that'll be interesting to see how far they can go. You probably don't feel like they're going to advance out of that tie, but you never know. They are in form. And we talked about Bayern Munich's difficulties a little bit. So could that be a hiccup game? Of course, it's the Champions League. You never know. We'll keep you covered when that does happen in February. But yeah, big storylines there. Of course, Daniel, you mentioned Jose Mourinho and just the way that he manages and how he feels that he has lack of players, a team that does not have lack of players. Let's just say the opposite problem of what Jose Mourinho is talking about is, of course, PSG, who, again, get a win, a big win today against Lens and absolutely now are, are kind of the clear-cut favorite, eight points clear at the top. It looks like this league uh, title is basically wrapped up and dusted, but you know, there's a couple other stories, you know, Brest, I know you, you're very high on and, and 
you know, it's a, it's a unique story. You didn't see them coming. You don't see Nice at second place very often in league on table. Of course, you have Monaco and Lille right behind them in fourth and fifth, respectively. So it's going to be an interesting battle for, for second, um, which it usually is in Liga. Uh, we thought it might be a little bit closer this year, but uh, truth comes to pass. And of course, PSG sit at the top of the throne like usual. Yeah, now I'm I'm fairly kind of over Ligo and already, especially after and I was telling you before the pod, I, I watched a couple minutes of this match and you know the red card kind of iced it early and the second half PSG were up one nil the entire second half and left it to the 89th minute to score the second. Looked completely uninterested here and I just I just can't stand it because you know I just wish they you know had more competition around them and and you, Nice dropped points this week but I did want to you you did mention Brest they were kind of a bottom half team before this year I think it was 11th 14th and 17th um, respectively and now they're in third and I mean I looked at the the squad to try to recognize one player and I recognized one Mounier from Huddersfield way back when for the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I don't even recognize a player on the squad. So I thought, you know, the fact that they're in third place right now, or yeah, is a pleasant surprise. And Eric Roy, don't really know much about you, but shout out to you. You've done a fantastic job this year. Yeah. You mentioned PSG kind of dominating things in this league being wrapped up and another league that is wrapped up and, but uh, you have to look at it maybe from historical perspective is PSV and in, in Eredivisie 17 and 0 Daniel. That is not that they haven't dropped points or they haven't drawn points. They've won all 17 games that they've played in the league. They are clear by 12 points over Fire Nord. You would expect this to have been a little bit tighter, but of course, when you win 17 out of out of 17, it's going to be hard for anyone to keep pace with that. The big story here, though, from our perspective, is Ajax have climbed their way back into fifth position now. In Eredivisie, only top two received Champions League positions. And so you're not going to be looking at, at that from their perspective. They're 11 points behind Fire Nord, so it's a tough task to, to climb there. But still, a respectable move. They're only five points behind AZ Akmar and, and you know, kind of going to be looking for that fourth spot if they can get it. But to come back from where they were, fantastic job there by that team and, and that manager and, and everything that they went through this season. Uh, similarly, you know, in the Portuguese league, Sporting, have a one-point lead over Benfica right now. And Porto, who played today, are a little bit farther behind. Of course, there was that big matchup a couple weeks ago, and it felt like that was going to be the title decider. And, and Porto, unfortunately, have kind of fallen off the pace since they had that result. Braga currently sitting in fourth there. So that's your top four in the Portuguese league. Now, Daniel, as we do, we try and cover all leagues across the world. One league that is officially now underway is Liga Emekis. And of course, that is a local domestic league that we try and keep in touch with, of course, with it being in North America and some contrast and overlap with MLS. So, of course, the first weekend here out of the gate, America wins, Monterey wins, basically your big top teams, Pumas wins as well. So, uh, you know, a strong start. Uh, of course, Tigres yet to play this weekend, but they were they are officially off and running in Mexico as well. So uh, we covered a lot. There's still more to cover for you guys. We do want to take a quick break before we get into AFCON and Asia Cup just to give them a little bit of time and dedication. So we are going to take a quick break. But in the meantime, please always follow 
us over at Full Time Roundup on X. You can interact with us over there. Let us know if we miss any big storylines or talking points across the way. You can, of course, download, like, subscribe wherever you get the podcast and leave us a five-star rating. And like I said, on the other side of the break, AFCON Asian Cup and our favorite segment, XI of the Week is back. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Full Time Roundup. As we said before the break, we are going to cover AFCON and Asia Cup for you guys. We did a, a preview episode of that with all the players that were going to be leaving and how that was going to impact European football. So we thought it was only fitting to also dive into the Cups as they go. We probably will focus on them more as they get towards the knockout rounds and further into the tournament, but we do want to still give you some updates as those tournaments have both kicked off. Firstly, with AFCON, which started yesterday, um, Daniel, two days, ago. Ivory Coast, two days ago, excuse me, Ivory Coast getting the opening game winner and they win and look very good in that one. Now, something that happened today, which we are both very surprised about, Daniel, we had maybe the biggest upset. I don't want to call it soccer history because I don't know where this team sits on the FIFA rankings. Clearly, they're part of it. Ghana, who, of course, U.S. men's national team. Uh, folks remember very well and have been very, very prominent in World Cups of late. Lose to Cape Verde. Yes, you did hear that correctly. Cape Verde gets an absolute stunner. 92nd minute winner to win 2-1 in this one. Probably the upset of the tournament, no matter what happens from here. Maybe even if Ghana wins the thing. But this was an absolute shocker, Daniel. I mentioned Ivory Coast already. Egypt also gets a surprise draw in their win. In their game, excuse me, they did not win, they drew. And then Nigeria also with a draw, although both of these teams you would expect to at least maybe make some noise going forward. But um, either way, Daniel, that's why you you play the Cups. You never know what's going to happen. Egypt tying Mozambique, Nigeria tying Ecuadorian Guyana. Again, not teams that you're very, very much expecting to win. Yeah, there was one competition I would, you know, advise our listeners never to bet it would be the african cup of nations because it is the most variable competition i think i've ever seen just historically speaking i mean egypt uh you know a decently strong core you know a rough around the edges but you know they have a decent core tying mozambique that's obviously unacceptable and it took an, a 90th minute penalty from salah to tie that up and then you know nigeria they they have a ton of players arguably the most talented you know other than maybe senegal and morocco here with another draw so i mean this is just unexpected unacceptable on their standards you want to get that first game out of the way and get three points so you know you have less to worry about but now they're all under the cosh and now they're sweating a little bit more than they probably would have for the next you know couple matches here so you know don't don't count any dog out in this fight and uh i'm really looking forward to kind of covering afcon as it goes because i think we're going to have a little bit more of these conversations as it goes on um now to switch over to to the asian cup um you know i've been very 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 high on japan here um and you know they they did start out hot with a 4q win against vietnam but they also, you know, were were drawn with with Vietnam in this game, and to concede two to Vietnam is obviously concerning. Um, you don't love that. You definitely don't love that, especially as a favorite of the competition. But you know, a win's a win, and I'm sure they can learn some lessons from this match and and kind of move on. Just real quickly, Australia opened with a victory. The Socceroos, as they are famously called, China and 
Tajikistan with a draw. Didn't even know that was a country. Learned something new every day. Um, Syria and ties with Uzbekistan. Know both of those countries. And then Iran, which was a little bit of a sleeper in this tournament, absolutely rolled. They have a, a pretty solid core as well, especially with Taremi, the big name in that in that squad. And then UAE uh, take care of Hong Kong. So, you know, we wanted to group because looking at these XIs, there were some very interesting surprises in the XI that I, that I you know I thought, um, especially for an opening game. And and maybe there is a caveat to this, you know, if you're incorporating travel and you know how when they last played a game and, and things of that nature. But you know, especially for Japan, arguably the best player Kubo and uh, Duan. Uh, both started on the bench, which was very surprising considering, you know, especially Kubo, who's been, you know, phenomenal this season, one of the best wingers in, in La Liga. Um, you know, Anaki Williams didn't start today um, for Ghana, which was in IU as well, which was a little bit of a surprise. And then Oribo, who plays for Southampton in the championship, Bassi, who, you know, is in the Premier League with Fulham, and Chukweze, who, who plays for Milan, all didn't get the start. Obviously, you know, the the latter of that discussion, Nigeria are a little bit more stacked. So, you know, that can kind of be, you know, wishy-washy. It's really up to the coach. But I think Inaki Williams and then Kubo not starting were, were pretty big shocks for me. I don't know about you. Yeah, they, they are for sure. Of course, you look at this, though, and you don't know what's going on in the camps, right, as far as travel, when they arrived, who was a little, you know, a little dinged up. Of course, Chiquese hasn't really been playing that much for AC Milan consistently there, so there might have been something there from him, his perspective. Um, but again, you also look at the, the the opponent, right? You mentioned Japan tying early on Vietnam. You would have expected this to be the result that it was a little bit easier. So you could rest Kubo in. And, and even in that regard, too, just to touch on that game and specifically, you see teams grow in the tournaments, right? So you kind of you always are going to expect this to be a, a slow start. They don't get much time together. I, I would expect to see something similar for South Korea, who is the other favorite um, when they get going, you know, maybe. Yung Sung looks a little bit rusty just because it, it takes time to get used to your your fellow teammates when you only have a couple of weeks of you know of a window together. So I'm not too concerned for Japan. Uh, they of course are one of the favorites, and if they if they don't advance the knockout, then then you can question why or what happened. But I think they'll be okay. Again, you'll grow into that tournament, and they'll be just fine. But uh, it's always an interesting one. You mentioned you know how how un unpredictable AFCON can be Asia it will be just the same way and, and you never know in these knockout type tournaments that's why you love them that's why we watch them uh, we just wish that they were all at the same time or in the summertime so that things were not impacted across the globe but I digress we digress we'll keep an eye out for that on both both lenses for you like we said probably dive into those a little bit more in detail as we get into the knockout stages but Daniel we've missed this segment uh, it's been off our radar, just given all the the difference with festive fixtures and not all the leagues playing at the same time. But we have it back for you guys. Of course, we're talking about our XI of the week. It is our best 11 players. We'd love to hear from you guys on X uh, if we miss anybody or who we should include in that. Of course, you can follow us over there at Full Time Roundup. Let us know if there are any players week in, week out. But the way that we do this is Daniel and I together put together this list of the best players of the weekend. We do one goalkeeper, 
three defenders, four midfielders, three strikers. Again, we try and give you guys a wide range of players. Sometimes there are players that don't have the most important stats, but they are on the list because they dominated a game. That's why they're the best player of the week. But a lot of times we do try and find you guys some players that do have points or data that impacted the game. So with that being said, Daniel, do you want to take us through our goalkeeper and defensive players? And I can take us through our midfield and striking players. Absolutely. Absolutely. So starting off, I don't think he's made this list yet this year, which is, you know, surprising considering the name Manuel Neuer. You know, he did have the leg break and has he seems back, you know, to full fitness. Thankfully he's not skiing anymore, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, you know, he probably got a stern talking to, especially during the winter break. Don't you even think about going on a mountain here? (laughs) But yeah, he had it kept a clean sheet. You know, he made you know, he seemed like back to Neuer things just somehow making incredible saves that, you know, not many other keepers could make. Um, so, you know, and he uh, kept Byron ahead, you know, and he's probably the reason they they kept it comfortable throughout the game. For defenders, Ramazani uh, with the 96-minute goal for Napoli to give them three points. You know, not only has he, you know, they lost Menjay Kim, he had to step up to the plate here and, and get them – arguably the much needed win of the season as their season has kind of crumbled in front of their eyes here um to move on antonio silva one of the most promising if not the most promising center back in the game of football right now um for benfica scored to kind of you know spur benfica on to their win as they were down um early to start out and then theo Peo Hernandez with a goal. He's been fantastic arguably Milan's best player this season maybe rivaled by maybe Pulisic at this rate, but uh, I mean, him just bombing down the left flank, him playing center back at times. Uh, you love to see it. And he, he loves Milan, the club captain. And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to keep watching Teo Hernandez. In the midfield, we had Kirkin Rodriguez from Los Palmas, who had two goals in their performance. They had a big, big result. And we had also Palacios for Bayer Leverkusen, who got the winner late. Of course, uh, 1-0 in that game. And, of course, when you get the winner, you are on this team sheet. I'm always butchering this guy's name, so I'm not even going to try and pronounce it correctly. I'll just say it as it's typed out. Kalahag Hanglu, who had two goals. I'm pretty sure it's close, but you guys oh, Hanglu. Yeah, that was, that was right. I appreciate that. There's some there's some language gold, in here every now and gold, then. Gold sticker from that. There we go. Appreciate that. And, of course, our last midfielder is Bernardo Silva, who, if you didn't see the goal – um, it may not have been the highlight that you get to see, but boy, was it a pretty goal back heel, just a little flick on from a cross in from Kyle Walker that just was just straight class. So, um, he gets the, the third midfield position for fourth midfield position for us. Now in our attacking positions, of course, you're looking at goal scorers. You're looking at Luke DeLong, three goals, hat trick. How can you take a hattie off the board? Of course, the other hat trick, Vinicius Jr. So three goals on the board. And our last one, we mentioned him earlier, Laturo Martinez. Laturo Martinez, excuse me, from Inter. That was a tongue twister. From Inter, who had two goals today as well. So again, that is our XI of the week. Let us know on X where we missed and missed any players. Of course, we are only focusing on domestic league, so we're not taking into account the cup games. And that is just who we have now, of course, as part of this segment, 
it's been a while, Daniel, so I almost forgot how we kind of go normally here, but we do player of the week and then young player of the week as well. So not only do we give you an XI of the week, we give you the starlet of the week as well as the starlets uh, who are coming up and coming into the league. So Daniel, give us your player of the week. Vinny Jr., um, what can you say? A first half hat trick completely dominated Barcelona. And there's always discourse when Real Madrid play Barcelona. Xavi loves to slide out Arujo to the right side because historically he's defended Vinicius Jr. well, but he had absolutely zero answers for him this game. And Vinicius, you know, he's had a good season, but this is probably his vintage Vinicius Jr. performance here. And, you know, two goals early and then to draw the PK and convert it as well. You know, he even counted on his fingers how many goals he scored and hit the C, which is hilarious. Um, so, you know, for all that combined, that deserves the player of the week for me. How about you? Give me Kevin De Bruyne, uh, not only because we're looking at this from a week perspective. So he played on Sunday last week as well. 15 minutes there when he came on the pitch, City scored three goals. He had two assists in that game. And then when he came on the pitch the other day, 25 minutes, one goal one assist. So if you do the math correctly, quickly, that's five goal contributions in less than 45 minutes of play since he's been back. Absolute maestro masterclass all around. Give me Kevin De Bruyne all day, every day now that he's back. And we hope that he is back for, for good young player of the week for me. We touched on it a little bit earlier in the show, Jamal Musiala. Uh, again, people forget just how young this kid is two goals and he looks to be back on form and it's going to be exciting to see him as well as some of the younger players across Europe that we've talked about, Jude Bellingham, uh, Vinny as well, uh, Lamine Yamal at Barcelona, across the board, Pedri, et cetera, et cetera. So just add him into the mix, and, and the future is bright for the game of soccer as we know it. How about yourself? I know you have a, a, a player that we haven't really talked too much about, um, and hopefully maybe we'll be on this list a little bit more often going forward. So earlier, earlier in the uh, segment, you mentioned you know how Valencia has kind of slowly and quietly climbed up the table here, and you know when you have a, a twenty-one-year-old Spanish striker who who gets a goal and then two assists and in a match to win, that's a big part of that. So Diego, Diego Lopez, take a bow. Um, probably his best performance all season. Had to throw him in here as he's only twenty-one, and we have not mentioned his name as of yet. So. Happy to have someone new on the segment this time. Always great to have someone new. Like we said, just so many young players coming up. We'll try and keep an eye out for all of them for you guys. We're not even scratching the surface here. We've we've talked about so many of them that are not even, even starting quite yet or just getting their career started. So we'd love to highlight some of these youngsters that are coming out. Of course, like I said a minute ago, you can interact with us on X at Full Time Roundup, not only for this segment, but just just broadly and generally about the sport, about the game, what you're seeing in the in the in the world of football how we can kind of be doing a little bit better on our show. Uh, anything you want to talk to us about, feel free to follow us over there. You can also follow Daniel on his Twitter account, which is Liverpool CLTFC. You can follow me at Life of Gesslin. Of course, download, like, subscribe, wherever you get the podcast, leave a five-star rating. But Daniel, it's been great. We're back. It's official. The calendar is now full of football from Tuesdays to Sundays, and it feels like we have just not left, and it was a nice little break during the holidays, but – Boy, are we back with a vengeance, and we'll try and keep it all covered for you guys. We'd love doing this for you guys, the listeners, and we'd love to hear from you guys. So, uh, as always, goals, goals, goals. One exciting news for us this week. I am actually out this week, so Daniel will have a guest host on Thursday. Keep an ear out for that one. 
Uh, it, it's going to be good. We're looking forward to it. But uh, I will see you guys on Sunday. But, of course, Daniel will have you guys in good hands in the midweek show. Have a good one. See you next week.